Hey, everybody, we're talking to Nearjury today. What an amazing woman. She is the owner of Kiss Cubed Events, has some incredible stories about how to produce one-of-a-kind event experiences for top brands, celebrities, and personalities across the U.S. and even globally. She's a great new friend of mine. You don't want to miss this incredible conversation. Welcome to The Last 10%. Your host, Dallas Burnett dives into incredible conversations that will inspire you to finish well and finish strong. Listen as guests share their journeys and valuable advice on living in the last 10%. If you are a leader, a coach, a business owner, or someone looking to level up, you are in the right place. Remember, you can give 90% effort and make it a long way, but it's finding out how to unlock the last 10% that makes all the difference in your life, your relationships, and your work. Now, here's Dallas. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Dallas Burnett sitting in my 1905 Koch Brothers Barber Chair in Thrive Studios. But more importantly, today we have a great guest. She's an event planner extraordinaire, a champion for women, diversity and inclusion, understands business culture, competency, and loves to share that with people. And also someone who was born in Zambia, raised in South Carolina, and educated in London. Oh my goodness. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dallas. I'm super excited to be here. <laughs> well, we were talking before the show and we were just having the best time. We actually had to hit record because we were having so much fun before the show. Now, I'm so thankful to have Near Jury on the show because we found out we have some things in common. We actually grew up not too far from each other in Spartanburg, South Carolina. How about that? I know. What are the odds, right? What are the <laughs> odds of this little Indian girl that's going to be on your podcast that, you know, you meet that grew up in South Carolina? It's amazing. So tell us a little bit about your story. It is an amazing story. So I was born in Zambia. My two Indian immigrant parents, my parents left India in the 60s, late 60s, early 70s, and moved to Zambia. That is where I was born. My parents got married there. And then we moved from Zambia to Botswana and Botswana to Joburg, then to London. My father was a chemical engineer working for Unilever at that time, starting different soap production plants in wow. South Central Africa. My mom was a wow. pathologist. And like every Indian and South Asian, you know, they had the itch for the American dream. And we immigrated to the United States where wow. the first place we landed was Philadelphia. You know, wow. my dad's sister lives there in a town called Phoenixville, pretty much right by Valley Forge through Amish country. And, and then, you know, my mom's cousin lived in Beaufort, South Carolina. So we kind of went there. My parents got into the motel business, like any nice. stereotypical South Asian in America <laughs> bought into the motel business. And then they decided to move. You know, my sister was born in Beaufort, South Carolina. Then they moved to Spartanburg. So I grew up in the upstate of South Carolina right. where, you know, I grew up in this Indian immigrant household of my parents having this like completely Eastern life at home. And here's me going to the schools and everything in this completely Western world in South Carolina where people didn't understand, you know, when it was like no. back then, oh, I'm from India. What? You're, yeah. what tribe are you from? And I was like, <laughs> no, I was like, no, I'm dot, not feather, dot, not feather. You know? So it was just like. <laughs> that's so um, awesome. I'm dot, not feather. That's hilarious. Having, having to explain myself, you know, through this journey has always been really exciting and funny at the same time for me. But I went to the University of South Carolina, you know, Gamecock over here, Wonderful. and then moved to London for MBA school and then moved back to the States and started my business back in oh my the God. early 2000s. Wow. That's amazing. When you came, I mean, going to, I can only imagine from, you know, the, the South Asia to Beaufort, South Carolina, 
that that had to be a culture shock. And then even in in Spartanburg in the upstate of South Carolina, how was that for you? How did you you seem like you adjusted? I'm sure you made like friends very quickly because of your personality and how how well you speak to people. But how was that for you to adjust? Like, how did you adjust to that kind of culture shock for you? How hard was that for you? Um, I can say it was actually very hard. The mm. reason it was really hard was, you know, growing up in a traditional Indian household in the United States, mm. families, our parents and families who immigrated at the time, like, for example, when they left India, you know, in the early 60s or seven, late 70s or so on and so forth, they left with that mentality of what India was then right? Where joint families, everything, you know, yes. your community, your culture, all of that. So mm. being transplanted from all of these different countries and, you know, when you're Indian and you leave at that early stage in your life, you hold on to that because that is my parents' version of India. You know, that is my right. parents' version of their culture. They took that right. to every country they went to, and then they formed their own communities and families there as well. And those individuals wow. left probably earlier. So they left with what their India was at that time, you know? And then wow. moving to a Western society like the United States, where, you know, it's this big dream to come to for a lot of immigrants from around the world is. Every day, you know, I had to check into being Indian when I came home from school and, you know, what was expected of me in my culture through my parents growing up and what they were instilling in us to going to this, you know, predominantly American Caucasian school with very limited diversity, right. living this Western life, you know, and right. not just Western southern western life <laughs> you know like you're it, very like specific version of it is the deep south so it's different <laughs> i mean you know what i mean right absolutely um, absolutely and so it was an adjustment it was a big adjustment for me you know i think it was very different for my sister growing up because she was born and raised here Right. So right. she never got to really experience that the changes of environments, you know, except for, hey, I was born American. I am American. Sure. My parents are Indian. I have this Indian heritage and background, which, you know, we are still very close to and all of that. But we've kind sure. of formed our own culture in that. You know, we I think we take the good of both cultures and kind of have formed it and made it our own. I would love to hear your perspective on this because it's it's a very cultural question. But if you had one thing that you would say that you wish Western culture would be able to adapt to be more like Eastern culture, what would that be for you? I mean, that's a kind of a odd question, but if you could take it and say, I'm going to meld this and kind of make it more this way, what would it be? What would you change about Western culture to make it more Eastern? I think, Patience is one thing I would mm. change. I think the reason that is, is for example, like, you know, my parents are in the service business. They are in the liquor, beer, wine distribution, the gas station, the hotel hospitality business, the subway stores, like typical Indian, like, you know, it's like an episode <laughs> of the Simpsons, right? It's like, it, these guys do it all, right? But I, I think the biggest thing is patience. I think patience because, you know, when immigrants come to this country, they conform to being of service and being very patient with their bosses or the environment in order to absorb it and take it all in and grow, mm. right? Whereas mm. Western society doesn't have the patience because it's this sense of entitlement of, well, I grew up here, you're in my country, so you need to just learn my ways. I mm -hmm. think that if we all took the time to actually understand each other's cultures mm. and mm. educate each other through culture, cultural competency and kindness. And yes. there's a lot that would come. I think, you know, businesses would be thriving, communities would be thriving mm. internally within your businesses and your understanding 
culture competency and that patience, you know, of everybody would really bring a different level of, you know, growth and perspective internally. So I think patience is a big thing because we're so quick to lose our patience just because we don't understand something versus Mm. asking the questions of, okay, explain to me why this is done, right? Because trust me, I work with people of so many diverse backgrounds and cultures. You know, I never say religions because, you know, religion is such a passed down thing. I like to say culture. And I think working with people of diverse cultures is so important for me that I understand their culture. And my biggest thing is it's let's find a commonality in both of our cultures that we can both laugh about and bond about because that's what the true meaning of coming together and celebrating each other is, you know? Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a very good perspective. And I think that is true. I think that you've really hit on something that you know, that would help everybody. And and that is that patience, that idea of patience, but also that idea of engagement that we we're not just in, it's not transactional, it's more engaging. And when we can engage with people from different cultures and backgrounds and experiences, it just, it, it helps us grow. It's like you said, it helps us grow. So I love that. That's really good. So let's talk a little bit about, let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be a entrepreneur a female entrepreneur and running the show. Let's talk about business a little bit. Tell us about your business and kind of what you do. So I'm a multicultural event producer. We work with corporate clients, brands, and individuals where we are traveling the world, producing events for them and activations for them based on their brand, whether it's a destination wedding to whether it's doing something for Amazon, Audible, or, you know, a tech company, so on and so forth. So it's really conforming to what is their messaging? What is their mission? And we do a lot of amazing things for our clients to not only celebrate their brands, to celebrate their events, but to celebrate their people. I think that's extremely important as well. Being a female entrepreneur, I can tell you is it's a lot of hard work. You know, Mm. it didn't happen overnight. Lots of experience, lots of adversity, lots of sleepless nights. I think also it's just like conforming to understanding like, is this my why? There's this lane for women you know, and I Mm -hmm. think like people always think that women just have to drive in that lane and, you Mm -hmm. know, they can't switch lanes or they can't explore and so on and so forth. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, after she hits a certain age, you know, it's, it's, I think I heard CEO Indra Nui talk about like the biological clock and the career clock are constantly fighting against each other. And that's so true. And even in entrepreneurship, you know, it it is that, you know, I started my business in like my twenties, you know, who I am today at almost 43 with the amount of experience I've had is very different. You know, do I regret my past? No. I wish certain things in my past I could have probably handled differently or the people Mm. I was working with, you know, could have handled it differently. But the journey of entrepreneurship, no one can prep you for. It's basically like having (laughs) children. You know, there isn't, there could be, you can read so many different books, like self-help books and all of that. But the true meaning of entrepreneurship and success is not going to come until you truly experience the highs and the lows of it and yes. the failures and the wins of it. I agree with that. That's so true. Very well said on that. I want to know how you decided you, you went in, you studied in London and then you mm-hmm. came back to the States. What was it that, did you already have entrepreneurship in your mind as this is what I want to do? And this is kind of the path I want to go and you're moving that direction or was it something that was more organic? So I'll tell you this, like any Indian person, you know, I was down the path of becoming a doctor and that I was like, nope, this is not for me. You know, I did research Mm. in a lab one summer for pediatric cancer research and I was like, oh, hell no, this is, (laughs) I'm sorry, but I'm not rotting in this hell, you know, more power to everybody, one that does it. But I was like, oh, heck no, I, this is not for me. And, you know, I think like the biggest thing was like when I graduated from undergrad, I was working for American Airlines at that time. And so Uh, keep in mind, this was pre 9-11 I was working. So I, I started working for American. I got basically, I got hired for my job the day after I graduated high school. 
And this is a oh, part-time, wow. this was supposed to be a part-time job, right? And so that was kind of like my first true taste of like corporate America, I guess yes. you would say, yes. you know, I've worked for my father, like I've run his stores, I've volunteered, I worked in retail and everything. I think like what a common teenager would normally do. I've yes. had those jobs in food service, retail. And I think that where it truly came was like seeing my parents in this entrepreneurial journey ever since we've been in the United States. I think it's like just, it's that hustle. It's, just you the know, hustle. they hustled yeah. hard. And yeah. I, those values never left me, you know? Yes. So yes. it's if they can dream this big for their family and relocate them around the world, I can dream for myself to create something for me, you know? And I think the other thing too was my bosses at corporate would laugh because, you know, I was, I was a great employee when I was there, you know, but school was also a focus for me, you know? Sure. Education was always instilled as a number one priority in our household. Right. And so, you know, I felt like I grew up so quickly because getting hired for that job while my friends were partying in college and, yes. you know, going to football games consistently. I was driving from Columbia to Spartanburg to go work at the airport, you know? And I think the biggest thing also that kind of like where I am today was, you know, I worked for the airline industry during 9-11 when that happened. Oh, and man. think about it, like, again, being of any ethnic background in South Carolina and you're at the airport after everything just happened and like any, anyone that was Anglo chose not to speak to me because it was like, mm. oh, it was like this whole thing. So it was like, all of this was just kind of like, I was just soaking it all up. And I was like, right. you know what? I'm seeing my parents in this country build a name for themselves and not even just, it wasn't even about a name. It was building a life for themselves sure. and yeah. they conformed to whatever, you know, they came here they ran a motel, then they, you know, then they ran a gas station, then they got into the subway sandwich store business. And, you know, it's like you go from independent business, working under someone to buying a business that was basically run to the ground and bringing it back up while my father, you know, my mother ran the gas station and my father was a car salesman for Subaru. I remember this, wow. you know, and then he would get off of work go relieve my mom and work and just seeing this cycle of hustle through the them, hustle. Yes. you know, it, yes. it never left me. And I think, and I think me and my sister, like we truly thrive on that because, you know, working hard, I don't know anything outside of working hard. Right. Um, and yes. so I think that's the biggest thing. It's, I think the story of, being an immigrant American, you know, is that when immigrants do come to this country, it's like they're here to, to hustle hard and send it home, you yeah, know? Yeah. And Absolutely. there's always this like challenge. And I think for me, it's, I quickly realized that I was born to be a leader and I wanted to lead, but I wanted to lead on my own terms. I, also never want to ask for two weeks of vacation off when I can go on vacation whenever I wanted. <laughs> um, you know, so like it, it's very different. I think the other thing too is opportunity comes in very different ways, you know, mm. and when you're an entrepreneur, you have to be on, you have to be on 24 seven. There is no this, oh, I've left work at work. No. You know, yeah, and I think even now, like when I see my parents in their late 60s, early 70s, where they are, you know, they're still buying new businesses. They're still hustling. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude, can you guys hustling. chill out? And, you know, yeah. and they even say to me, they're like, if we sit still and retire, my my mom literally, she's so funny. If I sit down, I will die. And I was like, oh, <laughs> relax, lady. I was like, you are so dramatic. But, you know, that, that gives you this, that gives you this mentality of like, I can't ever yeah. stop. <laughs> yes. Yes. No, I agree. I We have very similar backgrounds as it relates to parents that hustle and are still hustling in their early 70s. So I, I completely yeah. relate to that. And I completely relate to 
what you said about that's all you know. The hustle is what you were raised in. And it's what it you was. And to. Normal. it still is. It's normal. It's, it's it is, so is normal. normal. Yeah. It is yeah. so normal, you know, and it's so different because it's like my husband and I talk about this, you know, because he, he, has this entrepreneur spirit as well, but he also has a, a normal job. And he's always like, Hey babe, can you sit down and chill out? And I was like, I don't know what this means. And you know, my son just, <laughs> me, my, my son is like 16 months old. He just started like an early childhood development Montessori program. And you know, my dad's really funny. He's like, why does he need to go to school right now? There is no need, you know, and whatever. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, dude, <laughs> he needs to go learn. And so, you know, I was talking to his teacher recently and this just makes me laugh because I'm like, when I use that term, hustle is hard and real and busy is I'm like, oh, how's he doing? They're like, oh, he's busy. He's always busy. They're like, is he busy at home? And then it's like my husband and I are observing and I was like, oh my God. He's totally picking up after us because we're just <laughs> kind of busy. Like we're doing things. So, you we're know, it. and it's like th this quality or I don't even know if you want to call it a quality, this lifestyle of it's just constantly passed down, you mm -hmm. know, it is. you're in it this really environment is. and it, it just happens. And I think that's kind of why, you know, a lot of people ask, oh, why are Indians or South Asians so successful in America? It's, you know, like that. Unity of family, you know, keeping mm. family close, ask, having them as your well-wishers, you know, yeah. going to our temple is not for religious reasons. It's for building community. It's for mm. supporting each other, you know? Yes. So I yes. think that is really important, you know, for me. And I think Absolutely. that's why I am who I am and where I'm at. I think that's a neat, I think that's a neat balance. And I think that sometimes we get lost, especially... I think Western culture can get lost or tends to get lost in, in it if it keeps the hustle, but it loses the relational component. Because I love how you said we all are hustling, but we, we go to temple for community and we go to have that connection. And I think if you yeah. have the hustle without the connection, you're just a time bomb. You're just, you're, it, you can't handle the weight. You can't, you're going to get out of balance in some aspect of your life. I, I think, I think the other thing too is... I think the other thing too is, you know, you asked me before we started recording, you asked me about balance, you know, like mm, yeah. entrepreneurship, being a mom and balancing. You know, it's, I had this conversation with someone else recently on a, another interview and I said, there isn't a balance, you know, it's <laughs> like people, you know, people are basing balance and all this stuff on what they see on social media and so on and so forth. I'm right. like, guys, like for lack of better words, the balance is called the everyday show, you know, <laughs> and it's really, it's what you make of it. Right. Yeah. I think it's also like with you and your spouse and your team, it's like you come in and you're like, Hey guys, I'm at 90% today, you know? So I need the rest of you to pick up the 10 or I'm at 10%. I need the rest of you to pick up 90. And that's the same kind yeah. of like ideology, even in a marriage, in a business partnership, in entrepreneurship, you know, that happens. And I think it's important to communicate that. I think a lot of it is we all try to make it look easy, you know, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, I always tell people, you know, so many people are like, well, you went back to work so quickly after having a baby. Yeah. I went back two weeks later because I work for myself, but you know what? Like I almost died giving birth. So my, I woke up out of this whole experience very different. You know, we, more women should talk about the birthing experience, going through yes. all of that. You know, people are like, oh, what's your birth plan? I was like, I didn't have one because you know what? I didn't know what the hell was going to happen in there. And that's the reality. There is no plan. It's more like, get this child out of me. It's time. You know, that is the plan. And, you know, and, and in the process of, you know, going through 31 hours of labor from pushing oh hours gosh. and hours to trying to get my son uh. out through a vacuum to going through an emergency C-section and hemorrhaging oh. and all of this and oh you know your life is your life in this in that moment is just really going through your head and you're like mm. i have to get mm. to this light at the end of the tunnel so I, I tell everybody i was like there is no balance you choose what you want to balance right yes in in, yes. in this moment if you're like okay getting this project done is important and sacrificing this outing with my family is not important then that's what you're choosing. Or you're like, hey, spending time with my family because my parents are older, or this is happening. And then 
we have such limited time here, so I want to maximize on this, then that's your mm. priority. And I think yes. that's the biggest thing. It's like, what are you choosing to prioritize? Because oh, yeah. that is in entrepreneurship, in business, in, you know, in corporate America and all of that, there is different priorities. And we all choose to prioritize and make important what makes sense in this moment. I think that is so fantastic. And I think that's great advice because I think balancing, when you hear people, we've got to balance this and balance that, it's almost like you're supposed to keep everything at even kill and everything's in this perfect harmony all the time. And that's just not real life. That's social media. No, and, you know, and the only other way to create balance too, I think the other thing is I tell people, I was like, pay for help. Yes, what do you work? Yes. What do you work hard yes. for? When you yes. die, this money's not going with you. When you die, right. none of this goes with you. We That's all right. came into this world the same way as we're going to leave. If you're going to keep worrying about the dollar, your mental health is going to suffer. And that's the number one thing that you need to put forward. If yes. you don't put your mental health and yourself first, then that's right. there is no balance. You can't even focus no on creating that balance. I agree with that. And I think that you're speaking towards understanding your priorities and how people's priorities are different. And they're different at different stages in their life. Obviously, your priorities before children and after children is, is just different. Like you just can't, you just said, going through that experience is just different. And so it's very hard to speak about balance when you don't even know your life 10 years from now is not even going to look the same. And so I love how you kind of shifted that to know your priorities and yeah. then do what it takes to focus on those priorities so that you're creating the kind of environment or the kind of life or whatever that you're looking to create. And it's just intentionality around priorities. And I think that's, I think that's a fantastic point. Yeah. Very good stuff. So I want to talk a little bit about events and listen, by the way, if you're listening to this, you need to check out her website because when she says she's an event point, whatever you're thinking, it's not big enough. <laughs> I mean, you're like some of the stuff I was like, Oh my goodness, that's amazing that so you're doing some amazing stuff. But I want to talk about that because we do, we produce leadership summits for some clients of ours. Now they're not like the kind of events that you do. These are just their leadership summits, but well, we love leadership want, summits, but it's we love leadership theory. summits and we have a lot of fun. So I want to get yes. to talk to you a little bit about events and your, like how you approach. I would love to hear how you approach when you have a new event come in, what's your approach? Like from a, from an event planning perspective, what's your approach to create this amazing experience? So it's, you know, it's, I recently talked about this. I tell people, I said, when your client comes to you or you're put in charge to create this experience, number one, it's like lead with passion and purpose, mm -hmm. understanding mm -hmm. what the goal is of the event, what the mission is. Number one, what's the budget? You know, because we can yeah. dream up amazing things, right? right I think right. it's that. The other thing is also transparency, authenticity, and impact. I think, you know, mm. be, having transparent conversations with your consumer, having transparent conversations with your team, your suppliers, every, yeah. the troops that it takes, your army that it takes to yes. produce this, you know, authenticity, I think is so important because, you know, like, a lot of brands and a lot of corporate clients, like even leadership summits and stuff, they are building their platforms and their events on authenticity, you know? And I think more so than ever, you know, for me, it's, I've always been this way. So like the fact that this term authenticity is being thrown around everywhere, it's really yeah. interesting because I'm like, how do you not know how to be, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, why is I this am a, who I am? Yeah. This, what this is this a thing? <laughs> this used car salesman pitch is gone. You know, there's yeah. none of that yeah. anymore. I think no. it's just about what's right for you. And I think impact is also, you know, what's the impact you want to leave on your client and what's the impact do they want to leave with the guests and attendees from the event and the overall experience? I think I all that. of that has to do with it, you know? And the right strategy, you know, you know, is it the right strategy that's going to help build your audience to gain visibility? So I think all of that really goes into producing the right events. You know, when we work with our corporate clients, we have to completely shift of like into their mentality. You know, when we work mm. with our luxury destination event clients or wedding mm. clients, what's important to a father of the bride who could be a CEO 
uh, of the yeah. corporate company we're producing a corporate client for and what is his mission for his company and his brand. Wow. So it's like learning to balance the conversation, but both sides and both types of clients need the transparency, authenticity, and impact. That sound means it's time to take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. If you lead an organization or a team, one of the biggest challenges you face is developing your people. Think Move Thrive is here to help you on your journey. We've developed a coaching system that integrates into your team or organization to consistently develop your employees, build trust, gain valuable feedback, and increase accountability. Leadership retreats and summits are great. We even build those custom for our clients, but they're only part of the solution because they lack consistency. Our one-on-one coaching app is the missing piece in your employee development program. We help new leaders get to know their teams. We help technical managers be more relational. And we help ensure that your relational rock stars stay organized. We developed the system for a client, and it was so successful. We created the app to help more organizations develop their people, build trust, engagement, and you guessed it, performance. For more information, go to thinkmovethrive.com to learn more about the one-on-one coaching system and start developing your team today. Back to the show. Ah, I love that. I love that perspective. And I love how you've just been able to distill it down because it just is a great framework, a great scaffolding for approaching any type of event. Now, I also know, you know, we talked a little bit about before the show that you have been growing this company. You've just done some amazing events all over the world. But it's not come, it's like you said earlier, it's not come without some bumps in the road. You've had a couple of things that you've had big obstacles you've had to deal with along the way. Number one was the big elephant in the room is COVID-19. You know, that, that, oh, was, yeah. that was its own challenge. But then you've had some other things internally as you've gone through the entrepreneurship as it relates to your partners. Tell us about some of, tell us about some of the, the challenges that you've experienced as you've gone through this journey. Yeah, well, number one, I think, with COVID, let's start with that one. You know, our whole industry shut down. Like Mm. we could not have live events. We couldn't engage. So I kind of made it my mission for the event industry to build content for individuals because at this point, everyone went from being seen as different tiers of suppliers and vendors and who you were in the industry to playing on the same field right? That's what COVID did. COVID basically shut everybody out and everybody realized, okay, now we're all starting back at ground zero, right? Mm. So what I basically made it my goal, which was something that I've been wanting to do for a long time, was educating the event industry on how to build a better business. So I collaborated with an amazing media team and this was towards the wedding industry, but we transitioned it also. It could, the content could have been great for both, but I worked with a media partner called Mandala Weddings. We produced it with them and we interviewed people from all different walks of business, whether it was press and media to philanthropy, to, you know, building connection, to building the right brand, how to market yourself, how to, what you're doing internally in your business from a a standpoint of growing or just changing your processes. During COVID, since work was stagnant, Mm. that's what we did. We didn't let any of our clients also in the process lose any money. We made sure we maintained the relationships wherever in the world we were supposed to work because during COVID, we were supposed to work in London and Paris and Morocco and different parts of the world that we were producing events in. And then now having to figure out like, plan B, plan C. And I think the other part of it too, you were asking about, I've had multiple business partners before. And I think as an entrepreneur, you always want to bring and collaborate with people or it's with the mindset of growth. And for me, those partnerships didn't work out or those collaborations Mm. didn't work out. They didn't work out because, you know, our visions were very different. We were very transparent at different levels. We were very authentic at different levels. And Mm. the impact we wanted to create was very different as well, you know? So I think the challenges of partnerships also is always going to be there, right? Do I want to, will I ever say I won't have another business partner again? No, because you never know. You never know the opportunities. 
that'll land your way. I think the biggest thing is learning from it. If you were to look back, if you were to look back on those instances with the business partners and some of the things you said, you're just out of alignment on several different levels. If you were to think about going back and re the redo of those again, and instead of talking about your situation, giving advice to young entrepreneurs, maybe that's going into or looking at valuating a partnership. What would you either do different or advise either young entrepreneurs or young female entrepreneurs as it relates to going into partnerships? I think the biggest thing I would advise is like finding a co-founder or a, a founder with you that, again, has the same hustle as you. A business partnership is like a marriage, right? Everyone was educated differently, brought up differently. Their experiences were very different. So if you, know, you take two people that were business, got into a partnership and one was a stellar a student and was very driven and was wanting to maintain a certain level of excellence and one was did whatever to get by, then they may not be the best business partners, right? right but if you have right. two people that have that same level of elevated excellence and bring that yes. to their partnership, then thriving and growth are, you never know. You, the sky yeah, yeah, is the limit the, there. The sky's so the limit. I think I think the biggest thing is understanding when you go into business with somebody, it's not just about their strengths and their weaknesses. It's truly yes. more about are you guys on the same page when it comes to hustling? Are you guys on the same page about liability? Are you guys on the same page about who's bringing the money or are you raising capital? The other part yeah. of it also is, are we both going to be the face of the brand and the company or is it really going to be one of us or how are we going to handle this? And what happens if one partnership dies or one person wants to get out of it? You know, the other thing is be fair to each other. Depending on what industry your business is in and like in my industry, a lot of people want to get into it because it's so glamorous and it's far from glamorous, right? Like we, I always tell people in the event world, we do such thankless work, but such mm -hmm. behind the scenes, impactful work. And we are constantly managing emotions and budgets. <laughs> really, that's right. what it is. Exactly. And experiences. And I think like for young entrepreneurs that are wanting to get into any business, make sure you guys truly sit down and understand authenticity. The other thing is, go out and get experience first before you start mm -hmm. your business. You know, for me, like I got experience in the hospitality industry, not only working for an airline, then working for a major corporation like Starwood Hotels and Resorts. I worked in the business of when I wanted and how I wanted to start my business, right? Because my business then became a filter into these industries, right? Where That's I awesome. could feed into them. That's the other part of it. Make sure your partner has the same level of experience or the same years of experience in the field, learning, waking up one day and just saying, I'm going to start a business and this is going to be my partner. And neither one of you have experience. And when I say experience, not just industry experience, life experience, that's important. Enthusiasm tends to, and tends to disappear very quickly in a partnership without all those other characteristics that you've, you've laid out because you can be really excited about it. And whether you've got a friend or whether you've got somebody that you've met and they're, you're just really enthusiastic. If you don't check some of those boxes off and, and really understand not only the other person, like you said, but it really takes understanding yourself. What is your hustle? What is your experience? What are you bringing to the table and understanding how that fits together? It's a very complicated thing. And I think people sometimes will go into it without putting the weight of some of answering some of those questions on the table. And I think that's where. And it's like you up. said, enthusiasm, but enthusiasm wears off. Eventually it comes down to e economics, dollars it's and cents. Really, At the really end of does. the day, two people are getting into business or multiple people. You guys are all getting into business to make a profit cool. and to make a living. And yes. at the end of the day, everyone should win. And I think that's the other part of it, right? Don't go into a partnership where, you know, it becomes this competition between the partners. Oh. It's more about there's room for all of you to win. And when that you go into be. it with that mentality, that's going to be also very different. You know, the end results are going to be very different as well. 
hundred percent. I love that. That's great advice. I hope all the listeners of the show had their pens out and were taking notes or were just record the episode and let's do it again later because that was awesome. That was really awesome. Well, I want to give you a chance because you're obviously very passionate. You're very skilled at the work that you do in, in, in all these events all over the world, which is just, and I'm telling you guys, you got to check out our website because these are crazy good stuff, crazy good events. I want to get to what your why is. Why do you feel so passionate and passion-driven towards events? What is it that it gives to you? So for me, my why is truly championing change and women entrepreneurs. You know, we've formed a a new company also called Leave Her Mark. And it's for anyone and everyone who identifies as being a woman. And what okay. that what my goal is, is I want to help fuel tomorrow's women entrepreneurs with the tools they need to be successful, right? Because 20 years ago or so, when I started my business, these tools were not there, right? Mm. And for me, it's mm. really important that I want to give back in that capacity. And I think my biggest thing is event-wise, I'm only as good as my last event. But for me, I've been part of this hospitality event industry for a very long time. And what I want to see now that I have a little human that I'm also responsible for, (laughs) I want to help shape a business world, whether it's in hospitality, whether it's in construction, whether it's in the airlines, whether it's in food service, so on and so forth, medicine or whatnot. The meaning of being of service doesn't go away. And for me, it's about leaving an impact in my industry for the better, right? I think the biggest thing I love to educate people on is culture, cuisine, and celebrations because Mm. we all live such diverse cultures in our homes, in our communities, and how we were brought up and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Cuisine is what bonds us. Mm. We can all get a seat at the table and dine over amazing food and talk about our experiences. And celebration is how do we choose to come together to celebrate each other's successes and wins? And I think overall, like that is extremely important. I think it's so important. And I think that what you're doing is a fantastic way, not only to share culture, but strengthen and create culture in organizations. Because we talk a lot about in the book lift we had just come out. We talk a lot about rituals being one of the ways that you strengthen culture and that people in business don't think that way, but it's a shared experience and it's also a celebration. And so these events that you can do and put on, it's, so much more than just an event. It's events that are bringing people together and giving people the opportunity to share experiences so that they can go and relate better at the office on Monday. I think the other big thing, Dallas, that really is when I work with my corporate clients, I think when we are going into either on set, we work a lot with the film industry as well. We're Mm -hmm. either going Mm -hmm. on set and creating like staff appreciation type events, or we're going into different tech companies or hospitality companies or whatever, doing training or so on and so forth. I think the biggest thing and one of the feedbacks I get the most from individuals that are attending the events or are part of the staff or whatever is them feeling seen, right? Mm, When you as an organization, when you as an organization choose to celebrate global cultures internally in your organization, and mm. you have a staff globally, but that are, let's just take Delta Airlines for an example. If you're right, going right. to, you have staff globally, your staff is of so many different ethnic backgrounds and cultures. Sure. If you were to take, think about all the different holidays and celebrations that every culture globally has from um, you've got Lunar New Year to Diwali to Christmas to Hanukkah. If you yeah. as an organization take those holidays. And I wouldn't even call it holidays because these are community celebrations, right? Yes, They're not yes. just holidays. They're community celebrations, right? If mm-hmm. you were to take a little bit of each of those and create these activations in your organization revolving around culture with your staff of different ethnic backgrounds, cuisine, and so on and so forth, and making them feel seen and celebrated at that table what a great way for them to feel like that this organization has created space for me. I love that. 
And I think that you're positioned so well to educate the your clients. It's almost like you could give them an education on culture, not just event planning, right? Because you've had such a breadth of events all over the world. It's like when you engage with one of your clients, you're bringing all that information with you. And I'm, I'm sure they appreciate you for that. It's one of the reasons why you're one of the best. Absolutely. <laughs> That's why you're on the last 10%. So I would love to give our listeners just a quick kind of idea of some rookie mistakes that people make when they're setting up and going to plan an event or party in this season? Well, I think the number one rookie mistake people make is they don't hire the right team. I think that a lot of organizations want to cut costs because they're like, oh, internally, this person can plan it. But internally, they're so focused on your business and your industry. They don't understand the event execution side. Planning an event isn't just calling up a caterer and saying, he'll come drop some food off, right? If you're, right. whether you're planning an internal employee celebration or a client appreciation, or you're planning a kick-ass holiday party because that's what you want to do, right? I right. think, again, it comes down to the transparency, the authenticity and impact. And planning planning it with passion and purpose, right? What mm. is your mission with this? Is your holiday event going to be something that later you're going to donate to charity or, or are you doing some sort of community outreach and impact that's going to help people around you? you know, I think that's the biggest thing I can tell you. It's, we see it all the time and then we get last minute calls to like do damage control. Oh, this person didn't do this. They dropped the ball. The other thing too is I've been in business for 20 years. I have a set Rolodex of who we work with because we know the quality, we know the mm. level of excellence, we exactly. know the professionalism, right? Yes. If you are today's consumer that's solely just focused on price and not focused on the overall execution, the logistics, yes. the labor, all of that, yes, then we're going to have a hard time working together because exactly. I can't sit here and teach you why the rental company needs two days to load in and so on and so forth. And the labor in there or why the balloon artist is charging so much money because you want an entire ceiling of your <laughs> event covered because the material cost might be low, but the labor, the talent, all that time and hours that takes to blow up 10,000 balloons to create a ceiling is very yes. different. It's when I think like, that's the other thing is when people are planning events, it's like they don't understand the production value and the behind the scenes that goes into really making it happen. Because yeah. as an industry, we post beautiful images. I try to post a lot of tips in my images on our social media and everything, because to me, it's important. I want an informed consumer to come to me. But I think that's the biggest thing. It's call the right people internally at your organization and at your business Focus on creating the meaningful impact so that you want to. And that doesn't happen by removing, adding on this burden. Because a lot of times when we deal with some of the internal team in planning events, they are so stressed out because they mm. know that if they do a good job on this, it's their promotion or their raise or so on and so forth. Yes. That's a lot of pressure to put on an employee, you know, oh. that this is the, and when that's not their expertise, right? So I think the biggest thing too is we always go into it or we tell our client if we're dealing with someone internally, we're like, listen, we want to make you look good. So just be straight up with us because yeah. <laughs> you're telling me, you're telling me what's online for you. I'm letting you know what's possible in the short amount of time that you're giving me yes. a phone call. And exactly. Exactly. Well, I think that's fantastic advice. And it's, it is true. There's so much, there's so many layers to that. There's so many different situations. And the last thing you want to do is as, as a company's get the call at the last minute, like we didn't do enough. We didn't spend enough. We didn't have the expertise enough. And now we need you to bail us out. It's, it's just like the best analogy I can use. And my husband laughs because he's a GC. And I always tell people, I said, planning an event is like building a home, building a hotel, right? Hmm. Think about it. You need someone to come clear your land and select your venue for your home, Yes. right? Then you need yes. someone to lay down the foundation and all of that, which is give you what the vision could be. Then you need someone to start yes. with the framing and so on and so forth, your sheetrock and building it all up, your pipes, your electrical, all of that. You're not gonna hire if your company budget is a half a million dollars or a million dollars or whatever it is for the type of event and the summit that you're trying to plan. 
you're not going to hire someone that only knows how to build a house that's $50,000, you know, because that's, there's a lot of that. So I think keep in mind that that's how producing an event is. It's like building a home. There's a lot of layers that go into it before we can even start designing an experience and executing it. I think that's awesome. It's very, it's a complicated process and you need help. You need help. So, all right. We are so thankful that you were able to be on the show today. And I always ask guests as we get to the end of the show, who they would like to hear or see on the last 10%. And, And so I would love to know who is it that you would like to see on the show? Um, I think you would have a great episode. You should interview my father. <laughs> oh, that would be fun. Yeah. I think, I think that would be quite entertaining for you. <laughs> I think, I, you know what? I would love to see my sister on this podcast for you. She's uh, a, awesome. She is an airline executive oh. for American Airlines now. we I left and got her hired and here we are. I referred her awesome. to my old boss and he hired her and now the rest is history. Well, that's awesome. I love your suggestions and we'll definitely, we'll have to talk after the show about that because that sounds like fun. We'll definitely get in touch and see about that because that'd be fun. Well, tell people near jury, how can people get in touch with you, find out more about your work? If they're interested in events, how do they find you? They can find us through our website. It's www.kiscubedevents.com. Or if you want to personally reach me for any sort of training or cultural competency things, you can go to Nirjury, N-I-R-J-A-R-Y-D-E-S-A-I dot R-O-C-K-S, nirjurydesai.rocks. You can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, and even on LinkedIn. Awesome. She's everywhere. So you have no excuse. You've got to find her. Near Jury, thank you for being on the last 10%. We're so thankful for the wisdom and the insight that you've shared and for all the work that you do. That's great. Thank you for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Dallas. And it was a pleasure to speak to another South Carolinian. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Well, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on The Last 10%. We hope you found today's content engaging and encouraging. Remember to subscribe to the podcast to hear the latest episodes and help us out by rating and reviewing us so others will join our community. We release new episodes every other Tuesday. This podcast can be found globally in any podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Amazon. Subscribe today. Plus, visit our website, join our email list, and discover resources and info for your business and team at thinkmovethrive.com. Thanks again for listening to The Last 10%.